Well, I know you tried to clap, but then you were like, oh, we're missing it. So now you can clap on the Lord's provision. That's right. Not only grateful for their willingness to obey the Lord and their calling to do what they're doing in planning the church and building up the church in Japan, but for you as a body and your faithfulness to give and to invest in what God is doing. You are, as the Jesus declared in Matthew 6, you're laying up treasure in heaven. So we're praying that they'll be fruitful. So would you uh, bow with me? They're leaving this week. And let's just pray that the Lord would use them greatly. Father in heaven, I thank you for the incredible gift that we have to be co-laborers with you in your field. It's your work, Lord. So we're dependent upon you, and we are committing together, therefore, that you would use Kent and Yuko in a supernatural way, that the church in Japan would be strengthened, that those who are still dead in their sins would hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus and would believe and be born again. Lord, we are so grateful that you have been their Jehovah Jireh, their provider, and thank you that that has been through this body as folks have invested. We Trust in you, Lord, and we ask that they would be fruitful to the praise of your glory, that you would protect their family, protect their marriage, protect them in every way, that they would walk in the Spirit to the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so this week, I don't know if you know this phrase or not, we begin Passion Week. Uh, That's not actually a phrase in the scripture, but it refers to that week that starts with Palm Sunday with the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem to then a week later where he is raised from the dead and a lot that happens in between. It is without question the most important week in our Christian faith in terms of the historical events that take place this week. And so... Uh, We do have more going on this week than usual. And you may be tempted to go, ah, man, it's spring. I don't want to be involved more. I don't want to be more active. But I would encourage you that whether you come Thursday night or Friday night, that you would take a night this week, 7 o'clock over in South Auditorium, to remember the reality. Jesus died for our sins. And then that you would prioritize, and not only you, but inviting folks to come and to share with us that he did not only die for our sins, but that he was raised from the dead so that we might walk in newness of life. So genuinely want to encourage you to participate and to share in the services this week. All right, if you would, take your Bibles now, and let's turn to Luke chapter 19. And in Luke 19, we're going to see together uh, the occasion of the triumphal entry. And we normally have, hey, it appeared. How about that? I was praying and my remote clicker appeared on my table. I didn't know it was Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. There we go. So we're at Luke 19, and this is when Jesus enters Jerusalem. He's coming from the east down the Mount of Olives, and uh, there is this stirring, if you will, this crying out that creates a a confrontational moment. 
So Luke 19, pick it up in verse 37, where it says, as soon as he, that is Jesus, was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God, how? Joyfully with what type of voice? Uh, Joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen. And they were shouting, and so maybe you'll join me with this, all right? Shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. In other words, tell them to what? Oh, yeah, it's funny. Some of you are like, oh, I can't say shut up in church. (laughs) Be quiet. No, they weren't saying tell them to be quiet. They just tell them, stop. Tell them to not do that anymore. Tell them to shut up. Why? Because they didn't think it was appropriate what they were declaring. And in this moment of joyful, loud praise and worship of Jesus, there's then this protest. They're not carrying signs, but they are protesting what's going on. To the protest, Jesus says, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. Now, that's probably familiar territory for many of you. But I want us to just take a few moments and think carefully about that expression. If these, the disciples who are joyfully with a loud voice worshiping me, if they stop, what's going to happen? The stones are going to pick up where they stop. So what's Jesus saying? It's not complicated. He's saying, I'm worthy of the praise they're giving me. I'm worthy of joyful worship. I'm worthy of loud worship. I am so worthy, in fact, that if people don't give it, nature will. That's how worthy I am of worship. And he's not only saying, am I worthy of all praise? He is saying, your rejection of it, your refusal to join in, isn't going to stop it. Jesus declares, he's not going to, their rejection won't stop that deserving worship. You know, that, that is, folks, that's the nature of truth. Just because you don't believe something is true won't change that it is true. For hundreds and hundreds of years, people believed with all of their heart and mind that the earth was flat. But it wasn't no matter whether they believed it or not. Uh, Refusing to believe how God created the earth doesn't change the shape of the earth. Refusing, if you are this morning, going, as you sit in your seat, I I don't buy Jesus. I don't think he was the son of God. I don't think he paid the penalty for my sin. Uh, It doesn't change who he is and what he deserves. You can shake your fist at God, but it won't change who he is. You can be frustrated with people who believe it and shake your fist at them, and you can tell them, I want you to stop, but it does not change who he is and what he deserves. But Jesus gives us a picture in this statement when he says, if these become the Silent, the stones will cry out. When he says that, he gives us a picture of who these people really are and the condition of their heart. He is saying, 
by your telling them to be quiet, by your protest, you are revealing, you are hard-hearted. Now, this may be a new thought to you. It was to me as I meditated more on this this year. This phrase, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. You know what he's saying about those protesters? You are hard-hearted. And I say he is telling them they are hard-hearted for this reason. You are so hard-hearted, you refuse to do what rocks will do. That's pretty hard-hearted. I've never really thought of it that way, but that's exactly what Jesus is saying. When you refuse to give me the worship I deserve, you are harder than rocks in your heart. Wow. Now you would go, what a bunch of losers. Let me ask you this. Have you ever, in a moment of trial or in a moment of frustration, or even in a moment of apathy, refuse to give joyful, loud worship to Jesus. Ooh, ouch. Because <laughs> now I'm suddenly in the text. Do I have your attention? See, any time this heart refused, refuses to give joyful, loud voice, praise to our God. It's a reflection of my heart. And I've never really seen myself in the text in this. I've seen other hard-hearted people, but I haven't seen myself. And it's really possible to be in church a long time and to wander in at 9.30 or 9.40. And kind of go, oh, yeah, let's, what's, who's here? Oh, yeah, hey. And, and not join in. And never think my heart is hard. But as we launch into Passion Week, here's my very, very specific challenge to us. Let's have hearts that give joyful, loud praise because he is worthy. We asked the question if you were with us, is he worthy? And we declared he is. Joyfully, he is he is deserving. And so we have this, uh, this stone out here in front of South Auditorium. Maybe if you worship here in North, you've never seen this, but it's been here for a long time. On our 25th anniversary, we put this rock in front of the South Auditorium. If you've never stopped and read it, it says, if you don't praise him, I will. And, and then it's signed, Mr. Stone. And it's simply a reminder, because then we only had one place where we did our worship. It was the reminder, and I hope you'll capture it with a fresh heart this morning, a soft heart this morning, that when we walk in, we will not walk in hard-hearted, that we will walk in with a readiness to joyfully and a loud voice give him the praise he deserves. So some of you may have missed it, so I'm going to give you a chance. So stand up, and let's... With Matt leading us, let's together with joy and a loud voice give him the worship he deserves. All creatures of our God and King, 
lifts up your voice and with a sing, oh praise Him, hallelujah, praise, praise the Father, praise the Son, and praise the Spirit, So you get a sense that this is the heart by which we would want to learn to come every single week with a joyful, loud voice. That might mean go to bed earlier Saturday night. That might mean get up a little earlier Sunday morning. Sunday morning. That might eat something for breakfast. You got a little juice in you. But to declare 
that which he is deserving and worthy of. It's not whether you're into music or not. It's not whether you sing in the right key or not. Trust me, that's not one. Somebody said Thursday night, you got to just keep your mic on to make the point. I thought, that would not make the point. <laughs> I, I, I genuinely sing all the time with all my voice. It's just not worth being amplified because it's usually in wrong. But it is our great privilege to acknowledge he is worthy. Let's give it to him. All right, you can have a seat. And we're going to transfer now from Sunday and that moment of confrontation where they protested and Jesus corrected them to a story he tells on Passion Week on Tuesday. Turn with me from Luke 19 to Matthew 22. Because in Matthew 22, Jesus gives a parable that has a very direct connection to what was happening on Palm Sunday and the protesters. Now, before we look at it, let's be clear. What's a parable? A parable is a true to life. It's not necessarily a historic event. It's a true to life earthly story that demonstrates a spiritual heavenly reality. And it's simply a recognition that Jesus knows all of us learn best from a good story. Because I can yakety yak 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 up here, and then I'll tell you a story, and I'll watch you. I'll yak yak yak, and I start a story, and you're like, okay, now I'm in. Because a story communicates in ways that just regular words don't, and we feel it. And now we see it, and it's like, now it's real. It's not just theoretical. That's what a story. So he's going to tell a story, true to life, that's intended to make us feel and to experience so we go, ah, I get the spiritual reality. All right, Matthew 21, or excuse me, 22, verse 1. It says, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. So, you understand? What's the spiritual reality about? The nature of the kingdom of heaven. What's the story going to be to illustrate it? A royal wedding. All right? So, it's it's good. It's a royal wedding that's going to illustrate the kingdom of heaven and, and what the nature of it is. All right, jump into the story. He sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast. And they were unwilling to come. A royal wedding invited, and they didn't want to come. And again, he sent out other slaves saying, tell those who have been invited, behold, I have prepared my dinner. You understand what he's saying? He's saying the king has prepared dinner, which means what? It's going to be good. It's going to be top-notch. This is not just slave meal. This is royal dinner. This is going to be good. And when I read it, I go, okay, this is good. My oxen and my fat and livestock are all butchered, and everything is ready. In other words, this is going to be a beast feast. Vegans, yeah, find what you can. But this is going to be meat and good meat and lots of it. Come, come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention 
and went their way. Ignored the royal wedding and the royal feast. One to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and and killed them. The king was enraged, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murders and set their city on fire and canceled the wedding. No, I didn't say that, does it? No. He said to the slaves, the wedding is ready. In other words, it's going to happen. Those who were invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. And the slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good. And the wedding hall was, say it with me, filled with dinner guests. See? Uh-oh. What's the story telling us about the kingdom of God? Just like Palm Sunday, hey, you can, you can reject it, ignore it, but it's going to happen. The stones will take your place. The rocks will cry out in your place. You're not going to stop it. You're not that powerful. And there's going to be a feast. And the king's going to give it. And the dinner hall is going to be, what? Filled. Filled. Because... Even though many will reject it, how's it going to be filled? (laughs) Because all are invited. Because all are invited. See, his simple point is the invitation, because this is the nature of the kingdom of God, this story. The invitation to a relationship with God, to be with the king at the wedding feast of the Lamb. That invitation extends to all. Go out to the wicked, to the good, to the poor, to the rich, to every tongue and tribe and people and nation, to Japan, to South Africa, to the inner city jacks, to Mandarin, to Bonavidra, to Nakati, and declare, everybody is invited. That's pretty good. Now, you know what this story is capturing? It's capturing the heart of our Father, who in words, here's how the heart of the the Father is described. The Lord is not slow about his promise. He is going to come back. There will be a feast. He's not slow, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. See, the story says, I'm patient because I want everybody to come. It's the invitation. My promises and my patience are a reflection of the depth of my love. And for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him, shouldn't perish, but would have eternal life. It's an invitation to all. So can I tell you something, Christian Family Chapel? Would you look up here? If the heart of the heavenly father is that all, all are invited, then the children of the king ought to be more invitational. You hear that? 
as the children of the king whose heart is for all to come, we should be more invitational. We should be that, that second group that's just gone. <laughs> I don't know if you're wicked. I don't know if you're good. I invite you to come. I don't know what your past is. I invite you to come. I have no idea what's hidden in the secrets of your life. I invite you to come. I have no idea what reservations you have, but I invite you to come. If the king has an, a heart that all are invited, then the servants, the children, we, Christian Family Chapel, are you listening? We ought to be more invitational. That's simply why we have declared what we're going to do this week, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday, to, to invite the community to come to the egg glow. We are not pumping CFC. We are pumping Jesus who deserves and will receive all worship. We are simply acting on the heart of the Father who invites all to come and saying, we want this community to know you're invited. Not to church. You're invited into relationship with the king. You're invited to the feast, and it's going to be a good one. but we're not always very invitational. And if the heart of the Father is that all would come, we should be more invitational. So very practically, you saw it on the video. We took this to the egg glow for Saturday, this to the Easter services, and we printed 5,000 of them. The cynic goes, but what if everybody comes? Then the room will be full. And we've had some full rooms before in Easter, and, and it's always exciting, and it's fun to flex and to be open to what God's doing. I'm simply, very simple, if you're not tracking with me, when you walk out, grab some invitations, not to put on your floorboard, not to keep tucked in your Bible. Grab some invitations, and without pre-deciding whether people are going to come or not, whether they're interested or not, because the only guarantee we have is this. If we don't invite them, they won't come. But we always have the hope that who knows what's going on in their life at that moment or what the Lord's doing in our heart that we go, hey, just wanted to invite you. If you can make it, we'd love to have you. There's options here. This would be great for the kids. Be a great time. And you need to know that part of this will be a sharing of the gospel so that people who come will hear that the invitation to relationship is for all. So would you invite, not because we're pumping CFC, but because he is deserving of worship. And folks, if we don't get with it, he will use somebody else. So let's not be hard-hearted. Let's be, give no room for the rocks to have their way. Now, will all accept? No. The parable tells us many will reject. And they'll reject for multiple reasons. Some will reject. This isn't a blank, so you're like a little confused. You don't have to write it down. Many will reject. The story tells us for one of three reasons. Some because of apathy. Some because of distraction. Hey, I'm go- I got my business. I got my farm. Some apathy, some distraction, and some hostility. Some killed the servants. 
because we, we tend to think, well, they don't really care, don't invite them. Ah, they're really into other stuff, don't invite them. Oh, they're kind of hostile, don't invite them. You know what? Can I just say this once in a way that I hope you'll hear this? People who are apathetic or distracted or even hostile, God has a way of just, and he can do it in a second. He has a way of taking that and grabbing their attention. If you're not sure, just remember that the guy who the Lord used to write write most of the New Testament was a hostile guy, and God, in a flash, got his attention. Why Why couldn't he do that with your neighbor or with your coworker? Hey, people are distracted, and then something happens, and God has their attention. Or people are apathetic, and then something, and God gets their attention, right? So why couldn't God do that? someone in your world. Don't predecide. Hey, some will. You're planting a seed for who knows what and when. Because the heart of the king is an invitation to all. And if that's the heart of the king, then children of the king ought to be what? More invitational. Got a little corrector here. Eight o'clock was a lot faster than you were on that one right there. <laughs> If the heart of the king is an invitation to all, then the children of God ought to be... Uh, stop saying invitational, Frost. More invitational. I'm just playing with you. All right. It doesn't stop there. The story takes a wild twist. We stopped in verse 10, and what was true of the room? It was filled. And then the wackiest thing happens. Verse 11. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests to see the room full, here's what happens. He saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, friend, how'd you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man said, I ain't got nothing. He was speechless. What the king did? king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, many are invited, but few are chosen. Now you kind of go, oh, that's a little weird. What's going on here? Well, what's going on is somebody who was invited came, but... But did what? They didn't dress for the occasion. They showed up to a wedding in clothes that weren't appropriate. It's like my favorite fishing shirt right here. Now, would you wear this to a wedding? Now, I wouldn't wear this to a wedding. This guy, in this story that Jesus told, wore something inappropriate to the wedding. And it caused him to get kicked out. Even though he was invited, he was not invited to come in whatever he wanted. Just because you're invited doesn't mean you can come however you want. Now, so what's the problem with this for a wedding? 
Yeah, it's, it's dirty. But here's the deal. I got dirtier. I got stuff with a lot more blood stain on than this and dirt on this. This, this isn't that bad. Here's what I think is happening in this story. I think a guy shows up in garments that seem, listen, good enough to him, but not good enough for the wedding. But he thinks they're good enough. See, what Jesus is telling here is this. He is saying to the Jewish people on this Passion Week who had said, tell them to shut up. Tell them to be quiet. He is saying, you guys think you can come in your own righteousness according to your own good works because... (laughs) This may look dirty, but you ought to see the people that I work with. Now, those are some dirty folks. I'm not that, I'm not that bad. And Jesus is saying, no, all are invited, but all our righteous deeds, our righteous deeds, in other words, you and I at our best are like, Can you say it? A filthy garment. This is at our best. In other words, I think the guy put on the best he had. (laughs) But what was true about it? It It wasn't good enough. But he thought it was. Not recognizing that you and I, we think, well, the nature of the kingdom of God is that you just do your best. You be as good as you can. You try to clean up your life a little bit. Ever done this with your life a little bit? Go. God, comes off harder than you think. Ever done that? Try to clean up your life. Why? Because I think the way to get in is to be good enough. And uh, our best is like wearing this to a wedding. I want you to think about that next time you go to a wedding. You think about the fact that when it comes to the kingdom of God, we tend to think our good will be good enough. And Jesus tells you a story so you'll never forget it. Your best looks like trash. Your best is not appropriate. It's not good enough. See, what do we need? We need to first of all acknowledge all who attempt to come dressed in their own righteousness will be rejected. That's what happens in the story. He came dressed in that which was not for wedding calls. And he gets thrown out. So all who attempt to come dressed in their own righteousness will be rejected. It's so different. Some don't show up 
says they're apathetic, they're distracted, or they're hostile. Some show up, but they show up on their own terms according to their own righteousness. And the king reveals everybody's invited, but no one gets to come on their own terms. What we need is someone else's righteousness. And this is what Jesus has done for us. This is what we will celebrate this week. That he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, the wedding clothes of salvation are the righteousness of Christ because our own righteousness is filthy rags. The only clothes appropriate for the kingdom of God are the clothes of the righteousness that we have in Jesus. And therefore, how do we get that righteousness? Paul, who was hostile to the gospel but had been a good, moral, law-abiding, Bible-obeying person, said, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God, how? On the basis of faith. So, if you're tracking with me, I'm unpacking this story for you that all are invited, but none get to come on their own terms because our own righteousness is as filthy rags. It's a a filthy garment unworthy of a wedding. We need a righteousness, not our own. We need the true righteousness of Christ. And the only way to receive his righteousness is on the basis of faith. So let me describe faith to you. Faith is three parts. Faith is repenting. First, faith is second, believing. And third, faith is receiving his righteousness. The wedding clothes of salvation, that that which only will allow you to enter in to the kingdom of God is the righteousness of Christ for those who will repent, believe, and receive. So watch. Can I demonstrate? I get the invitation. Wow. The king. The king has made a way for me to be in relationship with him. And so I show up. I want to be a part. And what's he first say? Repent. Change your mind about your righteousness. It's filthy. It's not good enough. So the repenting in the picture of this story would be to recognize this is not going to get me in. My own righteousness will not get me in. Only thing that will get me in is a righteousness that belongs to Jesus, 
that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that Jesus was the Son of God who was wrapped in human flesh and never, ever sinned. He never had a dirty thought. He never had a sinful word. He always, in every moment, every day, obeyed the Father. And he said, and I will give my life for you to get into the party. If you will repent and believe in me, believe in my righteousness, and believing in me means that you will, as a gift, receive the righteousness of Christ and take on not a righteousness of your own, but a righteousness that belongs and comes only from him so that now I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And so now can you see the picture? The king walks in and the room is filled with folks dressed in wedding clothes and then there's this imposter (laughs) thinking he's made it in. Do you stand out? Yeah. Because nothing matches the righteousness of Christ. So friends, this morning, in this moment, this text is not speaking to you who are hostile or you who are distracted or even you who are apathetic. It is speaking to you who think you're good enough, who think by your own works of righteousness, you can get into the kingdom of God. That you think you can go to church enough or read your Bible enough or stop cussing enough and stop doing things that you used to do and that you can be saved by your own deeds. And I just want to tell you as clearly as I can, you can't get in with your righteousness. You can't get in. You need someone else's righteousness. And the only way is to repent and to believe and to receive. See, what are you trusting in? My the friend this past week shared this story with me. Uh, he was on a job. And he said... Uh, <clears throat> The guy who he, who he was working for had just had a heart attack eight days earlier. So he went from apathetic or distracted to focused, right? I asked him, if the heart attack had almost dying scared him, he said, yes. Then I asked him, what would have happened to him if he would have died? He replied, I hope I'd go up. I replied, it doesn't have to be a hope. The Bible says you can know for sure. And I quoted 1 John 5.13, which says, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Immediately after I quoted the verse, he began to tell me how his father, his brother, his uncle, and many other family members had served in the church for years. The avalanche occurred. His good works became his false hope for not embracing the truth of the gospel. 
Say, that might be your situation. We tend to think of those who are hostile. I'm not talking to you right now. I'm talking to the folks who think, wow, I've been good. And you're hoping and trying to do better. And you're hoping that in the end, you'll be good enough. And Jesus tells this story this Tuesday to tell you, you won't be. You'll stand out like a sore thumb. Only the righteousness of Christ. So every story of faith uh, has a moment of recognition and need and response. So I want to listen, want you to hear a, a gal who shared her story just last hour at eight o'clock and then was baptized. And as you listen to her story, you ask, do you have a story of your own where you recognized your need for repentance, believing and receiving the righteousness of Christ? Listen to this. Hi, my name is Katie Rowe and I'm 18 years old. I grew up in a home that had a bit of a twisted idea of religion and who God was. The image of God that I had was two-faced, so I made the decision at a very young age that I wanted nothing to do with the God that was being portrayed to me. Then when I started high school, I started facing internal and external struggles that I would have never imagined. I felt alone and out of place and had a very unbiblical view of myself. I turned to self-destructive coping mechanisms and slowly turned to a very bitter and sad person. I was trying to use worldly tactics to mask what was going on in my heart and was desperate to feel love and wanted. Then early last year, everything started crumbling. I went through a lot of traumatic experiences in a very short amount of time, including the loss of a dear friend and a crime committed against me. It all resulted in a lot of guilt anxiety and overall brokenness. My life was a disaster and I was still avidly denying my need for a savior. And then in August of last year, through an undeniable miracle, I was able to reconnect with my dad who I hadn't seen in almost 10 years and eventually, again through a miracle, I was able to move from Virginia to live with my dad and stepmom in Florida. When I got here, I still had a lot of wrong thinking that all resulted in a lot of painful emotions on top of all the change going on. But I was finally in a home that not only is God-centered, but loving and nurturing and encouraging. And I was able to get connected with the Hope Center and started biblical counseling. Upon starting my counseling with Lisa Anderson, I was facing an internal conflict of battling with my pride, still not wanting to admit my need for a savior. And then in October, I met a now dear friend of mine, Hadassah. And my very first day meeting her, I was talking with her mom, and she had some words uh, for me, which resulted in me crying on her kitchen floor, wondering how she could have known what to say when she knew little about me. The following week was basically me getting over my self-sufficient mentality, and I finally broke down and asked God into my life. I had hardened my heart to the Lord so much, but I instantly felt a peace fall upon upon me. The love and comfort that I had so deeply craved my whole 
life was finally tangible. I plugged into youth group and tried to surround myself with like-minded people, and I've made a lot of great friendships since. I feel immeasurably happier, and I know whenever I have troubles, I can hand them off to God. I've been renewed, and God is continuing to help me think in a more Christ-like manner, and the result of that is more and more emotions of joy instead of despair. My favorite verse is Genesis 50:20. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Today I wanted to be baptized to show an outward expression of inward restoration and all the good that came from my experiences. Why don't you stand together and we declare this in celebration. journey this morning, but I want to invite each of you to admit that your righteousness will never be enough, that you cannot get in according to your own good. It will never be enough, but that Jesus has paid the penalty for your sin so that you might join the King of Kings at the Feast of Feast that you would be forgiven and walk in newness of life, admitting this will never be enough and receiving the righteousness of Christ by faith. If you have never trusted in Jesus to be your Savior and your forgiver, to be your payment for sin, the only one who's ever been good enough, I invite you to repent and believe and receive his grace this morning. Would you bow with me? Just there in the quietness of this room, the quietness in the room over in South, would you declare, God, I am not good enough. I cannot trust in me, or my behavior, or my heritage. I believe in you and receive your gift, your righteousness. Clothe me in yourself that I might walk in newness of life. If you've prayed that prayer, if you've just admitted that to the Lord, he promises that he will make you his child. He will pour spirit into your heart that you would be a new person now in Christ, wrapped in the righteousness of Jesus. Thank you for that gift, Father. We live to give you the praise joyfully and with a loud voice that you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen. If you placed faith in Jesus this morning, maybe the first time, I want to invite you, if you would, uh, to just come up front here over north, go up front over and south, and there'll be someone there who would welcome you and help you learn what it means to 
walk with Jesus in the righteousness of Christ. God bless. See you Thursday, Friday, Sunday. God bless.